Hello, everyone, and welcome back to All the Blood and All the Guts. I don't know what possessed oh me to say that. All I don't of know it. What. All, all of the it. blood. Just all of it. Um, hi, everyone. I hope you all are doing very well. I hope you all are safe um, and inside. If you're not doing very well, maybe I can cheer you up with this behemoth of a case. Get it? <laughs> oh my god do you get it <laughs> oh my god i was planning that joke before <laughs> before we started um yeah <laughs> today we are talking about david berkowitz aka son of sam um but i'm not gonna call him that more than i have to because he sucks <laughs> yeah um, so we got a big one for you today and we're, we're just going to do it. It's going to be one and done. It's going to be one part. And I'm excited to talk about it because this dude is a bumbling idiot and he's still alive. So, um, we really ew. said nothing for you last week and now have everything. <laughs> yeah. You, you weren't able to talk last week. So that's okay. correct. Yeah. I was in recovery. Oh my god, and I'm not going to be able to talk in... Oh, we can still do one next week. <laughs> so I won't be able to talk when it's my turn, when it's, with, when it's next, because I have a surgery in two weeks. Hey I'm not, I'm not going to be able to talk in two weeks. Surgery anyway. Again. Yeah, so we'll just take the surgeries as they come. <laughs> as, the, as the common saying goes. <laughs> That is um, not common, nor is it correct. Yeah. Um, okay, so here we go. Let's get into it. So let's set the scene. It's New York in December 1936. Elizabeth Betty Broder and Anthony Tony Falco got married. Uh, Elizabeth, what, or Betty, let's call her Betty. Let's work more casual here. She was a, she was a waitress that came from a very poor Jewish family and basically had to support them by herself. Um, Tony was an Italian American. I'm not sure if he was an immigrant. Um, I read it in a couple places and it didn't say in a couple other places. So I'm just going to put it out there. Take it with a grain of salt. Um, they got married. Four years later, they scraped together the funds to start their very own fish market in 1939. About a month later, Betty gave birth um, on November 14th, 1939, <laughs> to Rosalind Falco. Um, after this, Tony left Betty for another woman. So... Damn, all my enemies hate Tony. I've never met a singular Tony that I thought was, like, respectable. And that includes Tony the Tiger. Oh, I was going to say Tony Stark. Oh, also no. (laughs) (laughs) I love how you were like, and that includes Tony the Tiger. No, I hate Tony the Tiger. He makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) Uh, So, Tony left Betty. In 1950, Betty started another relationship with Joseph Kleinman. He was a businessman and also uh, married, so not great. Betty, no! Yeah. Three years later, Betty became pregnant again. Now, Joseph said this entire time his wife would not hear of divorce. 
Like, I don't know if his wife knew or if he's like, um, I'm just not going to divorce her, whatever. Well, it's a bad time. Yeah, this generally is, bad. I mean, yeah. Pre-World War II, but barely. Well, he wanted to keep seeing Betty, but he refused to pay child support. So, <laughs> Betty gave birth to Richard David Falco on June 1st, 1953 in Brooklyn. Um, although official reasons are unknown, it's believed that Kleinman threatened to really leave Betty if she kept the child. So, he was adopted by Pearl and Nathan Berkowitz. They were Jewish American hardware store retailers in the Bronx. They couldn't have their own children, so they changed Richard to David Richard Berkowitz and raised him as their only child. And thus, he was... Man, I just want to... The fact that his original first name was Dick really set the scene for this. That's really okay, like, but English teacher foreshadowing moment, like... Hello. I'm okay. So his original name was Richard David Falco. Well, where did Betty get? Did Betty just give him the name Falco because she was dating Joseph Kleinman? Like Kleinman's the father. Falco's the dude that left her. And then he got his name switched around. That is setting you up for an identity crisis. Basically. I look, I don't know. I don't, (laughs) I don't deal with men. Or Betty. People named Betty. <laughs> this, is, this, is well. a, this is directly targeted at Riverdale. <laughs> <laughs> uh, David's childhood was not that great. Um, Nathan often told David he was a mistake. Um, which, you adopted him. <laughs> <laughs> like, you chose him. I don't wonder, whatever. Um, him and his father were not very tight, as I wrote down. Um, he and Pearl, however, were very close. Um, as you will see in any picture, he is huge. He was, like, gigantic for his age and also super hyperactive. Um, he did have an above-average intelligence. His IQ was 118. He lost interest in education at an early age and became involved in petty larceny and small fires. He was reportedly difficult, spoiled, and an overall bully, which not hard to see. Pearl and Nathan consulted at least one psychotherapist due to his misconduct. When he was about seven, his parents told him he was adopted. Um, When he began asking about his birth mother, his parents replied that she died in childbirth, which is not true at all. David immediately blamed himself for this, like, of course. Um, Throughout his childhood, he suffered lots of injuries. Um, He had a rock dropped on his head. He was hit in the head with a pipe wrench. He was hit by a car and ran into a wall, all causing head injuries. The doctor's like, I don't know if there's lasting damage. And I'm over here like, "Mm, I can testify there was lasting damage. (laughs) Around 13, he began to kill and torture animals, including his mother's pet bird. And, oh my god, I didn't even write the bird's name in here. What was the bird's name? The bird's name was was something cute. The bird's name was something cute. Whatever. (laughs) Um... 
1965, Pearl was diagnosed with breast cancer, and she passed away in 1967 when David was 14. This crushed him. This absolutely just demolished him. He was really upset. After this, his home life steadily declined, especially when Nathan remarried and David really clashed with this new woman in his life. He graduated high school in 1971 and continued to live with his father throughout college until Nathan and his new wife moved to Florida and left David in New York. Um, the parakeet's name was Pudgy. Pudgy! Pudgy, that's right! Yeah, and he, he poisoned Pudgy. Yes, he did. I remember that. Yeah. Uh, I was like, Polly. <laughs> oh, Pudgy the parakeet. God. Oh, thank you for your contribution. I appreciate it. Pudgy never stood a chance. I love, I love the pearl is probably like, this bird is fat. Hold on. That gives me an idea. <laughs> uh, in this same year, at 17, David joined the army and served in Fort Knox and with an infantry division in South Korea. He was apparently like a great shot. Um, and he also did loads of drugs while he was serving. Right. I, so did um, so did everybody, though. Yeah, true. Um, he was honorably discharged in 1974, and everyone said he changed after his service into weirdly a pacifist. Everyone was like, he came back and he was like, cool. He was like, make love, not war, and then that was it. Which... clearly stuck with him in his later life yeah this one uh he's really in for a long haul with this one i Mm -hmm. think yeah (laughs) when when he returned to new york he got an apartment in yonkers and a job as a letter sorter for the postal office uh people at his job said he was so introverted they didn't even know he worked there me i would love to be a letter sorter that would be I feel like it would be such a like a calm I feel like it would be like a like a simple job I would that would never get I old. would judge people's handwriting like, I, I would also I would I would judge like people's handwriting time. too mm-hmm <laughs> neighbors said um he was a jerk and was constantly getting the police called on him for f- picking fights and you know and things like that um at this time, he finally located his birth mother, Betty, and his, remember, half-sister, Rosalind. She disclosed disturbing details of his birth, and he was very distraught over the fact that he was given up because Betty didn't want to enter a fair. He thought she was impure and filthy, when, like all of these dudes do. So, she, he, of course, he blamed the mother for everything. Well, he began his crime spree in the mid-1970s. He screwed up his first attempt at murder, um, which we're going to talk about in a second. Then he switched to a handgun, and things really started to pick up. So he began, you know, like, really doing crimes, being a general awful person, getting into fights. Um, He set over 1,500 fires in New York City between 74 and 77. Um, And he named himself, are you ready? Are you ready? The Phantom of the Bronx. Sure, buddy. (laughs) Whatever you say. You you do you. I just, well, I'm tired. 
I'm tired of men with mommy issues doing the same thing. Like, you're not even... I'm tired of people naming themselves. God. David. I don't care. I, like, David, I'm yeah. so sorry. But... Like, how how old is he when he does... When, when he does... When he does the murder. When he commits... Uh, Isn't he, well... Like, 40? By that time? No. When was no. he born? His first attack was Christmas Eve, 1975. He was 22 years old. Oh, I was thinking of the wrong date. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, wasn't he no, 40? I was, I'm like, I, he was 22. Yeah, I had the wrong um, person's birthday in my head. The one that was with me was the <laughs> one in uh, 1936. So my math was right. Oh. <laughs> It's the steps I took to get there. His first attack, which he screwed up miserably, um, he took a hunting knife and he went out with the sole intent to attack a woman. <laughs> like, that was his goal that night. He wasn't, like, going out to pick up, like, some Chinese food and maybe, like, rent a movie. No, he was like, I'm going out and I'm going to attack a woman. He first attacked a woman leaving a grocery store by just coming up and stabbing her. Just, bam, there it is. Um, she actually survived. Like, she was she was fine. She was able to get away, but she was never identified. So this, like, great job, David. You really did it. Yeah, one of the most public yeah. settings ever. Mm-hmm. Like, there's always someone in a grocery store. Like, always. just leave. This lady was leaving a Kroger, and she got attacked. Yeah, she, like, she probably went to, like, a hospital, like, immediately. Like, I guarantee you, like, she got away, and then .2 seconds later, she encountered no less than 75 people shopping for apples, and they were like, oh! Well, apparently she had, like, a big puffy coat on, so that helped, like, deflect some things. That is, like, (laughs) yeah, one, it's deflected, two, she's like, oh, no! can somebody help me? And she, like, turns around and there's, like, 100 people that are like, yeah, let's go to the hospital, um, I guess. So, like, well, here's the here's the thing. She screamed, obviously, because you're getting stabbed, and David later, like, told people, he's like, I don't know why she screamed. Like, I wasn't gonna rape her. Like, I wasn't gonna rob her. I'm like, what? I'm like, what? I'm like, baby, there is... He was like, why did she scream? There is a knife in this woman. She's allowed to do whatever the hell she wants. I know. Well, if at first you don't succeed, try, try no. again. Because later that night... No. <laughs> Wrong message. That was the mentality. That was the mentality. The he I'm not saying that's we the do mentality. We don't condone repeated events. We don't condone murder. That was just his mentality. later that night he went over uh over he went after 15 year old michelle foreman she was a high school sophomore and he went up to her while she was walking on a bridge which is the worst scene that i could ever picture um he stabbed her six times she fought him like crazy and was able to get to a nearby apartment building for help she was hospitalized for seven days but she survived the stabs to the head, the torso, and a collapsed 
long. Yeah, girl, you know she did. 15-year-olds are built different. Mm-hmm. All They're scary. All 15-year-olds are built insanely different, and I love that. You know David was like, are you kidding me? Like, are you mm-hmm. to the head? I, I went for the head, and why are you like, this poor, you know who's fine. He's just you know real bad. Like, that was it. I did it. I checked that off my mm-hmm. to-do list. <laughs> Well, a month later, he moved out of his apartment and into a rental house, which was still in Yonkers. Are you ready? His landlords owned a German shepherd, which David said was possessed by the devil and telling him to kill women. (laughs) He spent only three months in this house and moved to 35 Pine Street, also in Yonkers. In this new house, his neighbor's name was Sam Carr, who owned a black lab named Harvey. I I remember the name for this one, who David loathed. He hated Harvey. He actually tried to kill Harvey with a Molotov cocktail, (laughs) which didn't work. Like, that that is an explosive, and it didn't work. Um, so David shot him. Wait, wait. That was not the right tone of voice to have for this. What are you talking So, you the, know, it was an explosive. This... Didn't work. Can you believe it? Anyways. No, anyways, I, didn't mean, um, I didn't mean it like that. You shot him. <laughs> this, this dude got this explosive. It did not kill this dog. And so he's like, this dog needs to die. And he shot him. That's how you know he's an awful human being. Because who hates a black lab named Harvey? I will be posting a picture of the dog first. Oh, my God. The first installment of Blood and Pups. It's Harvey. <laughs> yeah, Harvey Harvey took the blood part a little too literally. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, it was at this time that the son of Sam Elias was born. He thought his neighbor was possessed by the devil or was a demon. David said that son of Sam was the son of the demon who possessed Sam Carr, a.k.a. Harvey. So, (laughs) son of Sam is a dog, basically. And that's so lame, too. Like, if your name has more than, like, eight steps, maybe it's not working. Yeah, maybe just... It's not, Maybe stop. I can't do it. It's so, mm-hmm. like, this is too many steps. This is too many, like, symbolism. It's too much. It's too much for my <laughs> my smooth brain. David went on a road trip later to visit his dad in Florida. And on the way back, he went to Houston, Texas to visit an old friend, Billy Dan Parker. Now, I was just thinking about this when I was typing this down. Um, he lives in New York. And he went to visit his dad in Florida. That's fine. But then he just made a detour to Texas. That is not a detour. That is a 12. That is across that is a the country. That is a 12-hour drive both ways. It's 12 okay. hours to Florida it's, and well, about 12 to Texas. Mm-hmm. He, he told Billy he was nervous driving back to New York and stuff like that. He was like, Whatever. And um, so the natural thing to do, of course, he asked Billy to buy him a gun. 
which it's not like he didn't have guns. He had, he owned guns, but he just needed a special gun, I guess. So July 12th, Billy bought David a Charter Arms 44 caliber bulldog revolver and three boxes of ammo. You know that he saw the word dog and bulldog. It was like, (laughs) I was going to say that. (laughs) The the symbolism. (laughs) Okay, listen, listen to this. July 28th. David quit his current security card guard job to become a cab driver. But later he said that the demons told him to get a steady job. So he got one installing air conditioners. Because the, de- Satan said the demons are like, the bag. <laughs> no. When, so when he left during the night to go stalk for <laughs> victims, casual, He used the fire escape instead of the elevator because he was trying to avoid being noticed. This absolute giant of a man going, you are trying to tell me that you, you, yeah, for sure. You're going to look less conspicuous going down a fire escape. That's the most, that's the most sus thing you could do. Especially when you know you don't fit on the fire. Thank God, imagine if you like just anyone walking down the street. You hear a little rattle above you, and it's like King Kong descending <laughs> from the heavens. I Donkey Kong on his way to stab a woman <laughs> unsuccessfully. Okay. Well, I do want to mention before we get into the murders that um, overall his intent was to go after women with long brown hair because they looked the most like his birth mother and his adopted mother, obviously because he has mommy issues. July 29th, 1976, the first Son of Sam shooting occurred at about 1.10 a.m. Donna Loria, um, who was 18, and Jody Valenti, who was 19. Um, they were an emergency medical tech and a nurse, respectively. They were sitting in Jody's car chatting, like I would assume in Donna's driveway, when um, her dad came and told her to come inside. Um, the dad walked in the house with Donna still in the car, like saying goodbye to Jody, whatever. When he closed the door, he immediately heard gunshots. When when Donna opened the car door to leave, David basically came right up to the door, produced a pistol from a paper bag like an idiot, crouched down, bracing his arms, and shot at them. So he he needed to get into his battle stance, apparently, before he shot these innocent women. Donna was struck in the head and killed instantly, while Jody was hit in the thigh but survived. So, kill count is one, non-kill count is three. That's a Um, failing grade. (laughs) That is a failing grade. Not saying you need to, we're not saying anything. (laughs) We're just making fun of him. October 23rd, 1976, David was in Queens and picked out a woman sitting in a car with long brown hair. This was 18-year-old college student Rosemary Keenan, and she was with her, um, or she, and with her was 20-year-old security guard Carl De Niro. He saw them, and he saw them. He saw them in a red Ford Galaxy, and followed this car to the corner of 33rd Avenue and 159th Street. So he literally stalked this car. 
When the car parked, David shot at the car, shattering the windows and striking Carl in the head. Rosemary was able to run out of this car screaming only with like superficial injuries from the broken glass. Well, after David fled the scene, Rosemary got back in the car and drove Carl to the hospital. Hell yeah. Can you hear that? Can can you can you hear my finger snaps? Okay. At least hopefully this, they picked up. If they didn't know, okay, oh, well, let's I just think do like a little like POVs here for a second, okay? Like, okay, you're you're a white man in New York. You're built like a brick. <laughs> you leave your home with the one singular mission of kill a woman. When you mm-hmm. return with your gun, still built like a brick. You have instead killed not a woman. <laughs> um, actually, he didn't kill anyone because Carl survived. You have not. You have not only not killed a woman. Haven't even killed you've killed no one. <laughs> you've just busted up a car a little bit. But the fact that she did still drive the car says you didn't even kill car. <laughs> Your kill count for both heavy machinery. Men and woman is zero, and you are still <laughs> built like a brick as you clamber up the fire escape into your own home, thinking you are a ninja in the dark alleyways <laughs> of New York. You go home a failure. <laughs> you, you go home. Oh my god, excellent. Shame and darkness. But at least you think to yourself, at least I am slick and sly as I clamber my monkey way up the fire escape to my own home instead of taking the elevator like a normal person. Instead, you are a freak and a failure. And you are now missing. You have now wasted several bullets for nothing. Your intended victim drove another man to the hospital. You- you have only oh empowered God. her. <laughs> Listen. Carl survived. Um, he needed a metal plate to cover a portion of his skull, Girl, but he but survived. Cool. He's fine. This is what he succeeded in. Empowering a, t- a long, dark-haired woman and also making Carl look cool as hell. Correct. Police determined that the bullets in the car were from a forty-four caliber gun, but they were literally so deformed, they could not possibly trace it back to a weapon. So they, they got nothing from this. I keep clicking down to go farther, and it always brings me back up. Okay, November, November 27th, 1967. 16-year-old student Donna DeMassi was walking home from the movies with another high school student, 16-year-old Joanne Lomino. They noticed a guy following them, so they tried to lose him, and they thought they did because they didn't see him anymore. They got home and were hanging out on Joanne's front porch when a man approached the porch and began to ask for directions. Now listen to this. David apparently tried to mask his voice by making it higher pitched. Like he was like, oh, so where's Joanne? Like, where is this? <laughs> it's even funny when you have the mental picture of what he looks like. Like, 
for those of you that have I know. seen the Umbrella Academy, this is like Luther talking about being like, hey, so, um, yes, do I like take a ride up here? Like, what's going on? Like, I would just be like, uh. Google, guys, Google David Berkowitz, like, full body. He's huge. Like, he is, he, like, he, oh, he does, okay, if you look at, if you look at him, like, next to people, like, that are, like, carrying him into the courtroom, he is visibly, like, wider than them, and he, he's not too much taller, but he, you know he looks like he could do damage he if he wanted from to. from what we in the math community call a horizontal stretch. <laughs> Um, oh my god. I don't know. He's just <laughs> oh, he's built like a plank of wood. He is. Like, well, <laughs> he tried to mask this voice. Um, he didn't even finish a sentence before he started shooting at them. Now, Joanne's parents came rushing out of the house to find that both of the girls had been shot. Can you that'd imagine? Be insanely awful. L- Especially if they come that would, home and like, the worst. yeah, they're like, there's this weird dude today who was like following us. You imagine Ben going outside and being like, oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, Joanne, uh, no, sorry. Donna had been shot in the neck and Joanne was hit in the back. Um, later rendered paraplegic because guess what? They both oh survived. God. You know, David, David was like, you're the worst. Rolling over. Could you, uh, like, because that's where, like, people kind of tell you to aim. Like, he's had headshots, the neck, the back. I mean, I feel like, okay, like. He like was the, considered, like, he was I considered know. a great marksman well, those in the are military. that you should aim. The only one that's, like, a little sketch is, like, the thigh shot. But still, like, if you had, if you had hit an artery, that might have happened, like, bleeding out. But, like, but yeah, this was- head, neck back and all these people are like um actually uh i mean i'm just gonna like continue on um yeah he was considered like a great this was close range too like he came up to them and still didn't kill them obviously i want to say psa we're not trying to say oh he should have killed them obviously not we're making fun of him is a disaster i cannot he's absolutely a disaster (laughs) But also, I think it's good to mention that this gun that Billy bought him that he used in these attacks was, like, weirdly heavy. Like, it was, like, a weird gun to use, even though, like, whatever. So it was probably God. awkward for him. And I don't know why God, he chose David it, rolls oh, up well. <laughs> thick as hell with a janky, janky <laughs> heavy gun. Hey, um, excuse me, can you, um, point me to, like, could you event, like, I would think... Can you come to the nearest CVS? Either one of those girls, I feel like I would have thought I was like just like a little. Would bit think high. I was seeing yeah, Bigfoot. Like, just this little like forest <laughs> man, like God. Like I said, Donkey Kong. Plot twist. Who's out here? Like um, so I'm a little lost. Like plot twist. All Sasquatch sightings are David Berkowitz. No, I'm just. He's I'm just too saying. White. That's the only part of his phantom name that was true. You know he glows. <laughs> yeah, he's, like, he's trying in the to dark. slip okay. up through the fire escape. Little um, does he know he shines like the sun. No, I love it. Okay, 
January 30th, 1977, 26-year-old Christine um, Freund, Freund and her fiancé, 30-year-old John uh, Deal, were sitting in John's car in Queens preparing to go to a dance hall yeah. after the movie they just saw. They yeah. saw Rocky, by the way, just in case anyone was wondering. Yeah, um, they were preparing to go dancing, which, take me dancing. Thank you. This is a request I'm putting in. <laughs> Uh, suddenly the car exploded in gunshots. Um, Christine was shot in the head and the chest. John had minor superficial injuries and drove away for help. Christine, unfortunately, died several hours later at the hospital. This is when police made the first sort of public acknowledgement that all of these crimes might be connected. This is when they first started looking into it. I mean, several hours, though. That's still way more than yeah. can be hoped for for like a shot to the head and have yeah yeah i know and those, the chest too i at least with several hours like mm-hmm. there were at least like proper goodbyes that could be fit in like you could at least mm-hmm. i mean it, it probably like definitely yeah, sucked for, sure. for her like for her this was probably not the mm-hmm. ideal outcome but for two people who were planning to go do something romantic together, I feel like overall, this was best closure-wise. Yeah, I've, yeah, and it's it's yeah, just, so, it sucks. Like all said, of it though, sucks. Things that the it's human all body awful. can get through. I head and insane. chat like not even just one like that's mm-hmm. insane. That would suck, but it's yeah. wild to me. Go, Christine! All my mm-hmm. homies. All my homies love Christine. Go, Christine. <laughs> uh, March 8th, 1977. 19-year-old Virginia... Um, uh, <laughs> all right, here we go. V- uh, Vo- Voskerichin? Voskerichin? I'm so sorry, Virginia. Um, it's Voskerichian. I'm not sure. I'm so sorry. Um, she was walking home from school when David started following her like the creep he is. He took out a gun and she held her books up in front of her face to protect herself. But unfortunately, that didn't work as the bullets went right through and hit her in the head, killing her. Um, here was when they officially connected the bullets to the other crimes. Um, I don't think they had the word serial killer yet, but um, they were like, oh, one person did all of these and stuff like that. Um, police started warning the public and everyone started panicking. Like, businesses were losing customers because people weren't going outside. Funnily enough, blonde wigs were selling out everywhere. Stores had trouble keeping up because every woman was either getting a wig or dyeing their hair blonde because no one wanted to have brown hair. Hell yeah. Because that was his M.O. Yeah, I know. Like, stores literally were like, um, we cannot keep up with yeah, the demand for doubt. wigs. <laughs> mm-hmm. April 14th, 1977, um, ahem, Operation Omega was formed <laughs> to catch this dude. Um, but they really were not effective at all, as we will now see. <laughs> so... April 17th, 1977, 20-year-old Alexander, I believe it is pronounced Esau, and 18-year-old Valentina Suriani were sitting in her car near the house in the Bronx. Both of them were shot twice. Valentina was dead when police arrived, and Alexander died in the hospital later. 
This was the first time a letter was found at the scene near the bodies. It was addressed to NYPD Captain Joseph Borelli. It read, <clears throat> with misspellings, I'm keeping the misspellings intact. I am deeply hurt by your calling me a Weeman hater. <laughs> Spelled W-E-M-O-N. I am not, but I am a monster. I am the son of Sam. I am a little brat. Yeah, you are. <laughs> when, <laughs> when Father Sam gets drunk, he gets mean. He beats his family. Sometimes he ties me up to the back of the house. Other times he locks me in the garage. Sam loves to drink blood. Go out and kill, commands Father Sam. Which, side note, is he talking about the dog? <laughs> Papa, this dog anyway. what am I to do? <laughs> Behind our house, some rest. Mostly young, raped and slaughtered, their blood drained. Just bones now. Papa Sam keeps me locked in the attic, too. I can't get out, but I look out in the attic window and watch the world go by. I feel like an outsider. I am on a different wavelength than everybody else, programmed to kill. However, to stop me, you must kill me. Attention all police. Shoot me first. Shoot to kill or else. Keep out of my way or you will die. Papa Sam is old now. He needs some blood to preserve his youth. He has had too many heart attacks. Too many heart attacks. Um, all right. <laughs> Ugh, me hoot. It hurts, sonny boy. <laughs> I miss my pretty princess most of all. She's resting in our lady's house, but I'll see her soon. I am the monster Beelzebub, the chubby behemoth. I love to hunt, prowling the streets looking for fair game, tasty meat. The women of Queens are Z, like the letter Z, prettiest of all. I must be the water they drink. I live for the hunt, my life, blood for Papa. Mr. Borelli, sir, I don't want to kill any more. No, sir. No more. But I must honor thy father. I want to make love to the world. I love people. I don't belong on earth. Return me to yahoos. To the people of Queens, I love you. And I wa want to wish all of you a happy Easter. May God bless you in this life and in the next. And for now, I say goodbye and good night. Police, let me haunt you with these words. I'll be back. I'll be back. To be interpreted as bang, 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 bank, bang, ugh. Yours in murder, Mr. Monster. <laughs> End scene. <laughs> I don't even want to assess that. I just want to let everyone take it in for a second. All right, take a deep breath. Um, You know he wrote that at 4 a.m. On Crystal (laughs) Map. Yeah. After looking at this letter, psychologists from Bellevue Hospital um, believed him to be a paranoid schizophrenic. Crazy assessment, I know, for sure. Um, They profiled him as a loner with trouble making relationships, particularly women. To which I say... (laughs) Duh. <laughs> uh, now, David started using the media like every other serial killer. Uh, he used it to his advantage and stuff like that. 
On May 30th, 1977, Daily News columnist Jimmy Breslin received a letter from someone who claimed to be the 44 caliber killer, because that's what they were calling him at this point. It was postmarked that same day from Englewood, New Jersey, and on the back of the envelope were the words, Blood and Family, Darkness and Death, Absolute Depravity, 44. Anyway, it read... (laughs) Hello from the gutters of NYC, which are filled with dog manure, vomit, stale wine, urine, and blood. Hello from the sewers of NYC, which swallow up these delicacies when they are washed away by the sweeper trucks. Hello from the cracks in the sidewalks of NYC and from the ants that dwell in these cracks and feed in the dried blood of the dead that has settled into the cracks. JB, I'm just dropping you a line. to let you know that I appreciate your interest in those recent and horrendous 44 killings. I also want to tell you that I read your column daily and I find it quite informative. (laughs) Tell me, Jim, what will you have for July 29th? You can forget about me if you like, because I don't care for publicity. Liar. However, you must not forget Donna Loria, and you cannot let the people forget her either. She was a very, very sweet girl, but Sam's a thirsty lad, and he won't let me stop killing until he gets his fill of blood. Mr. Breslin, sir, don't think that because you haven't heard from me for a while that I went to sleep. No, rather, I am still here. Like a spirit roaming the night. Thirsty, hungry, seldom stopping to rest. Anxious to please Sam. I love my work. Now the void has been filled. Perhaps we shall meet face to face someday, or perhaps I will be blown away by cops with smoking 38s. Whatever, if I shall be fortunate enough to meet you, I will tell you all about Sam if you like, and I will introduce you to him. His name is Sam the Terrible. Not knowing what the future holds, I shall say farewell, and I will see you at the next job. Or should I say you will see my handiwork at the next job? Remember Miss Loria. Thank you. In their blood and from the gutter, Sam's creation. 44. Here are some names to help you along. Forward them to to the inspector for use by NCIC. The Duke of Death. The Wicked King Wicker. The 22 Disciples of Hell. John Wheaties, Rapist and Suffocator of Young Girls. P.S. Please inform all the detectives working the slaying to remain. P.S. J.B. Please inform... Oh, please inform all the detectives working the case that I wish them the best of luck. Keep them digging, drive on, think positive, get off your butts, knock on coffins, etc. Upon my capture, I promise to buy all the guys working the case a new pair of shoes if I can get up the money. Son of Sam. Our podcast is two hours long, and that's because I spent two hours reading the letters. This is like a major, like diary writing moment for him like doesn't it like i just love that oh for sure like, oh my god by the way like, you're so informative like oh my god, oh my god. it's yeah, like fan like, fiction or like a fan know, letter like, like you're just so informative i love it like oh my god by the way mm-hmm. like i'll see you soon what like i xoxo <laughs> well yeah the Duke of Death. <laughs> XOXO, Gossip Girl. <laughs> um, so the whole July 29th line symbolized he was going to do anniversary, an anniversary attack that um, never came. 
Um, now, this liner was a whole lot neater than the other one and had some symbols on the bottom, um, and it really looked professionally done. Part of this letter was published, and the newspaper urged the killer to surrender, which he obviously never did. Now, June 10th, 1977, David's former landlord got a note from Yonkers that included a photo of a German shepherd and a letter. That said, this letter's not that long. <laughs> not as long as the other ones, I can assure you. So we got a letter that said, Dear Jack, um, I believe the landlord's name was Jack Cassaro. Uh, Dear Jack, I'm sorry to hear about that fall you took from the roof of your house. I just want to say I'm sorry, but I'm sure it won't be long until you feel much better, healthy, well, and strong. Please be careful next time. Since you're going to be confined to your house for a long time, let us know if Nan needs anything. Sincerely, Sam and Francis Carr. So this is like great and all, real nice and all that. Um, but Jack never fell from a roof and he had never heard of the cars. <laughs> Can you imagine getting that letter and you're like, uh, honey, I'm, I'm completely fine. <laughs> So Jack looked up the cars in the phone book, which friendly reminder, it's the, it was um, the cars, Sam and Francis were the neighbors of David who, you know, had the dog and whatever. So he looked them up in the phone book and everyone was confused because none of them knew each other. <laughs> they all met up to discuss this note that they got, that Jack got. When they saw the dog photo, the cars told Jack that their dog and their neighbor's German Shepherd had been shot by David Berkowitz. They then started to bond over this weird neighbor that they shared that hated dogs when they realized they were talking about David Berkowitz. <laughs> they were like, oh my god, you had a really large dude that hated dogs in your apartment? Me too! So they called NYPD, who didn't believe them. Nan, Jack's wife, called again two months later, and the police did nothing. Finally, enough people started pointing fingers at David. The police started to look into it. They pulled all of his records and all of that stuff and basically did nothing again. Um, well, two weeks later, on June 26, 1977... 20-year-old Sal Lupo and 17-year-old Judy Placido had just left a dance hall and were sitting in Sal's car when Judy said, quote, That son of Sam is really scary. The way that guy comes out of nowhere, you'll never know where he'll hit next. After she said this, David shot up the car. Judy was shot in the right temple, shoulder, and back of the neck while Sal was wounded in the right forearm. Both of them survived. Yeah. <laughs> they both walked Yo, out of there. After saying something like that, though, I would, like, believe that I had, like, powers. I feel like I would be Never like, speak again. so, <laughs> you know, if I have even, like, the tiniest little bit of instinct for something, guess what I'm doing? Whatever that says. Like, I feel like I, no one would be able to tell me, like jack anymore i'd be like no um i just have like a bad feeling you know and last time that like i had a bad feeling about something you know do you remember what happened oh i do my car got shot up mm -hmm. it would be awful if like a million yeah, dollars it would came suck into my, so bad if i never came into my lap <laughs> wouldn't that just be absurd <laughs> Okay, well, um, 
Unfortunately, July 31st, 1977, Robert Violante and Stacy Moskowitz wow. were on their first date. Robert's mom actually warned him about Son of Sam, to which he replied, Ma, don't worry, Stacy's blonde. When they were in their car, shots were fired at them. Robert was shot once, but was able to crawl out of the car. Stacy had been shot once in the head. Uh, David just walked away casually. Um, ew. Um, Robert lost his left eye and was practically blinded, but he did survive. Stacy, the final and only blonde victim of Son of Sam, died from her injuries. Now, a witness told police that that night they had seen a man take a ticket off of his car that night and rip it up really angrily. <laughs> well, they found out this ticket was issued to David Berkowitz. <laughs> August 9th, 1977, Detective James Justice. You have no other choice James but to go Justice. law enforcement. That's so funny because when I was listening, I, when the Morbid episode that covered Son of Sam, they were like, he had no other choice than to become a detective. Detective James Justice called Yonkers police and um, said, hey, investigate David freaking Berkowitz, please. <laughs> The dispatcher who took the call was Wheat Carr, the daughter of Sam Carr. Uh, yeah, her name is Wheat. Wheat Carr. I mean, do you? Wheat Carr. She told him that her father and Jack the Landlord gave the NYPD info about David and nothing was done. So he was kind of hesitant because he didn't want to go over the heads of Operation Omega. Um, but he took the reins and investigated David on his own. He saw all of the evidence against David, like all these letters, these notes, these testimonies, evidence, whatever. He saw them all and brought it to another officer who said, nope, no need to investigate him. Cool. <laughs> well, then police started to get reports that an arson had been committed on Pine Street, a.k.a. David Street. Yeah. So uh, Deputy Craig Glassman, who lived in this building, came forward and... Um, well, and said, hey, this fire was set outside my door next to 22 caliber bullets. So they would eventually, like, go off. Um, the fire was fortunately put out before that could happen. Turns out, David had also been writing threatening demon Satan letters to this deputy as well. After this, Sam Carr went to the police department and was like, hey, what are you doing? Why aren't you doing anything, like, to arrest this dude? Like, it is clearly him. We have told you David writes these letters and you just got a fire set, like, outside the door of this dude who has been receiving these letters. Can you arrest him, please? What did the police do? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> well, something had to click. Something clicked, I guess. Because officers at some point went to David's house after this. They saw David's red Ford Galaxy and looked in the back seat. They saw a gun in the back seat and a letter in the glove box saying that they were going to attack again. Uh, so this got a search warrant and a crowd started gathering around this apartment building. One of the officers actually asked someone to park their Hell car behind yeah. David's to like box him in. <laughs> um. 
this is so funny. This is so funny. So they flanked the exit of this apartment building instead of going inside to get him. I don't know if it was, like, they didn't want collateral damage or, like, the hallways are narrow. Whatever. This is when a man walked out of the apartment. The police, of course, seized Deputy Craig Glassman immediately. (laughs) So... This dude walks out and they're so hyped because they're like, we're about to catch son of Sam. And they seize another deputy. (laughs) Can you imagine they're flanked outside? It's like a movie moment. They flanked this exit and they grabbed the wrong dude. I'm crying. So they were like, everyone reset, reset, (laughs) reset, do it again. Next take. (laughs) Cut, everyone stop, gotta do it again. August 10th. 1977, David walked out of his apartment carrying a brown paper bag and got in his car. Um, Detective John Falatico approached David w- David's window and was like, Hey! <laughs> he just knocked on his window with his gun drawn. And you know what David said? David said, quote, Well, you got me. How come it took you such a long time? finally even he knows that it took the police an absurd amount of time to get him now um the now other dialogue was like written about in a in a book i forget the name of the book and i'm so sorry um it was i think it's i think the book is entitled actually son of sam um so the uh David or David detective Falatico said to the suspect now that I've got you who have I got the man said you know like you know the detective said no I don't you tell me David turned his head and said I'm Sam detective replied you're Sam Sam who Sam David Berkowitz this is like a movie moment (laughs) He was brought to police headquarters and the mayor announced that they had caught the man that was believed to be the son of Sam Killer. Now, August 11th, 1977, the first detective to talk to David said it was like, quote, talking to a head of cabbage. (laughs) I just want to know, I feel like talking to a head of cabbage would be more enlightening than talking to David Berkowitz. I feel like a cabbage could make some points yeah for sure i feel like yeah david sat down and told him the details about every attack very calmly and he expressed an interest in pleading guilty he was immediately charged with second degree murder for stacy moskowitz during questioning, Berkowitz claimed, you know, this is where it all came out. David claimed that his neighbor's dog was one of the reasons that he killed, stating that the dog demanded the blood of pretty young girls. He said that the Sam mentioned in the first letter was Sam Carr. He claimed that Harvey, the, lab retri- the Labrador Retriever, was possessed by an ancient demon and that it issued irresistible commands that Berkowitz must kill people, basically. Um, needless to say, a psyche valve was indeed ordered. <laughs> Um, the police also searched David's apartment, which was in disarray. Like, it was awful. You know it smelled awful because there was a dirty mattress on the floor. He had, like, sheets covering the window, like, empty milk cartons. 
It was awful. There was satanic graffiti on the walls. They also found diaries detailing the arsons he committed as well. They found diaries. They even found a scrapbook that had, like, newspaper clippings of the attacks. So, you know, he documented himself very well. <laughs> um, the apartment still stands as 42 Pine Street today. So it's still up. Um, it was renamed as an attempt to end its notoriety. Um, I don't know if anyone lives there. Yeah. I feel like no one would want to. <laughs> yeah. The media was having a field day with this, which David loved, loved, loved. However, because of this, um, the son of Sam Laws were formed, which stated that the state of New York could not take money from criminals through the forms of deals and like things like that. But the money had to go to the victims, which is great. Three separate exams determined that he was indeed competent to stand trial. His defense lawyers told him to enter an insanity plea, but he actually refused this. He was like, nope, I'm guilty. Let's just get this over with. On May 8th, 1978, he pleaded guilty to all the shootings. Um, at, uh, his sentencing was two weeks later, and Stacy Moskowitz's mother was there. Um, she was screaming at him, which, absolutely. She was screaming at him, shouting, sobbing, obviously. He loved it. He adored it. He was so happy with this. He responded to her screams saying, Stacy's a whore. I'd kill her again. I'd kill them all again. Well, after this, he attempted to jump out the window of the courtroom, which is on the seventh floor. <laughs> he like knocked over like seven guards trying to get this done. Um, another psyche eval was ordered before the court could proceed with anything. He apparently, during this psyche eval, drew a picture of a jail man, like a man, a jail man. Why did I write it down that way? Drew a picture of a man in jail with the caption, I am not well, not well at all, which shut up. You're not fooling anybody. You're fine. Um, June 12th, 1978, he was sentenced again to six consecutive life sentences um, <laughs> yay he was ordered to serve time in the attica correctional facility where he spent about a decade before being relocated he described his life there as a, like a nightmare he was a huge problem for the guards and he actually got attacked by another inmate at one point July 10th, 1979, an inmate used a handmade shank to slice open David's neck, Great. to which he needed Love 50 stitches. I mean, like, I was like, okay. Um, he cited, you know, Satan, cults, and um, the song Rich Girl by Holland Oates inspired him to kill. I... <laughs> he cited all of these things inspired him to kill but then he finally decided nope you know what i'm I'm gonna use the dog excuse and so he landed he finally was like he that was his final excuse that he landed on and he kept saying you know nope it was the dog which <laughs> so fbi agent robert wrestler we love robert wrestler i think um I think in Mindhunter, that's Bill. That's Bill Tench. Yeah, Tench. That's your fault. We never finished Mindhunter. 
I know it is my fault. Uh, FBI agent Robert Ressler, who coined the term serial killer, in case anyone was wondering, um, he met with David a couple times and David confessed to him that, you know, the whole demon thing completely was made up. And he said he did it because he needed an insanity defense, basically. He told him that, you know, I would mention the word demon and dog and like son of Sam to psychiatrists and they would just be like, they would eat it up. They'd be like, oh my God, you're schizophrenic. And he's like, I'm not, but if you say I am, sure. Um, And it was, he was never mentally insane at all, obviously. It was just a stupid facade. He said he just hated women because of his mom and because no woman would sleep with him. Because he's, it's because he's built like, of like a refrigerator. <laughs> I love that I just tore oh that laugh oh out <laughs> without like your consent. Like that was <laughs> <laughs> all right. He also told him that he was planning to go to the funerals of the victims, but he uh he couldn't There's find a reason them. he was asking for directions. Or... <laughs> Yeah. Oh my god. Um, yeah, he couldn't He couldn't find them, or he was worried that people would see him. He wasn't done. He didn't want to be caught yet. Mwah, whatever. Um, he said he would go back to the crime scenes and things like that, and that the crime scenes were like, <laughs> it got him going, apparently. I mean, he said he would go, like, no. you know. You know. <laughs> um, in 19... 19- oh my god. <laughs> My lungs just collapsed. Um, in 1987, he became an evangelical Christian in prison and now refers to himself as Son of Hope. He's still alive, unfortunately. Um, he's still alive and kicking. Says he's the Son of Hope. Says he's found God. Which, all of these people that find God in prison, shut up. You have nothing better to do than read the Bible. And now you're just using it. He is, so he's actually, he's entitled to a parole hearing every two years, but he's never, ever given parole. And sometimes David just like skips the hearings altogether because he says he is determined to stay in prison forever because he thinks he deserves it, which yes, you do, David. And that is the case of Son of Sam, (gasps) or I should say Son of Pearl, because, because that's the truth and i'm not gonna use your stupid dog name, justice for harvey son of, son of son of pudgy the that, parakeet that could have been what we yeah. ended up with. could you imagine receiving a letter from son of pudgy like i yeah i would that would son be how he would be his victim because i would read it and then i would pass away <laughs> Anyway, that's the whole case. Take it in. What are we yeah. at? Like an hour and twenty minutes? I don't want to. Just take it. Take it in. Sorry, sorry for the long. T- sorry for the long. Oh my god, I'm having a stroke. Um, sorry, sorry for the long episode, but um, I wanted to read all the letters and I wanted to give you all the details I could. Um, and we've got this is another one, another big one in the books. Bam. um okay so we will be posting pictures of unfortunately david all the victims and harvey the black lab on instagram at blood and guts pod 
or on Twitter at blood underscore guts pod. You can email us a case suggestion. You can email us your own spooky story or like crime story. If like you have a connection to David Berkowitz. Um, if you have rejected David Berkowitz at some point, do tell us. Um, you can email us at bloodgutspod at gmail.com. And there can be 50 PSAs for this case, but PSA, give me one of them. Um, if you're built like a fridge, the fire escape is not for you. Um, if you need to escape a fire, um, just like bust through the wall or something. Like you're fit. You can do it. Hulk out. Um, um, Hulk if out. you are carrying a gun, um, one, make sure it's legal. Two, paper bag is not a holster. I don't know what kind of, like, I don't know, like, poor, broke college student look you're trying to go for, but it is not the main character moment that you think it is. One time, one, my, when my, my grandpa used to carry Windex in a tool belt because he was like, he, he was like, he was OCD. He needed to clean everything. He was real particular about that. So just know that my grandpa carrying Windex was more efficient than son of Sam. (laughs) Just know. And and on that note, bye everyone. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) 